everybody, on today's episode, we've got Brian Felt. We're gonna be talking about the Renters' Bill of Rights. Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. Property Meld is a smart maintenance coordination solution proven to turn maintenance headaches into profitability. Our maintenance coordination hub connects all property management companies' key players in one location, providing maintenance oversight and efficiency to property management maintenance teams. Our solution streamlines communication throughout the coordination process, resulting in the oversight and efficiency property managers need to create a profitable maintenance operation. Property Meld delivers property managers with a positive maintenance experience. Check out more information at propertymeld.com or reach out at info at propertymeld.com. PestShare, a pest control amenity for your resident benefits program, starting at just $5 per door. You can give your residents the pest control coverage they need. PestShare will even pay for the expensive infestations like bed bugs and cockroaches. End the debate over who pays for pest control, while Pest Share turns an expense into added revenue. For more information, check out their website at pestshare.com forward slash property managers. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Property Manager Mastermind Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Larson. Now today's guest, I've got a good friend of mine, Brian Felt, coming on. Now, Brian is in the local San Antonio market. Uh, we've got lots of history together. He's actually a good friend of mine, a uh, huge Metallica fan, so he's gotten me tickets to go to Metallica in Vegas. And uh, he's just a really good dude because he has background as a second-generation real estate professional. Uh, his dad, Herman Felt, owned one of the big franchises here in San Antonio for a long time. So he's kind of a staple in the San Antonio market. And Brian also has experience as a police officer. He spent uh, quite a long time, I think 17, 18 years in the San Antonio Police Department. And so he sent me this article, The Renter's Bill of Rights, and we started to chat upon it and really said, hey, before we get into the, you know too much discussion back and forth on what this means to us, we really just need to record a podcast and have a conversation. So we're neither of us are like super well-versed on the whole article. Uh, we don't know all the ins and outs, but we're going to kind of discover it together. It does talk about rent control at a certain point. And Brian's a guy, he's, he's been in the NARPM leadership. He's uh, at the local level in the San Antonio region, at the state level for the, here, the state of Texas. So he understands the big political play and everything, and he's always expanding. Uh, he's always got good ideas to do cool stuff. So it's really a fun conversation that we're going to have today. And so without further ado, I'm going to bring on Brian, and here we go. Welcome, Brian. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for coming on the Property Manager Mastermind podcast. And to give a quick introduction to who you are, give us a few minutes of your time. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Brad. Brian Felt, I own Forefront Property Management here in San Antonio, Texas, same city as RentWorks. Uh, we are managing just under 200 properties, primarily single family, a couple of commercial strip centers, a little bit of a small multifamily, less than 20 units. Yeah. Now, you're one of the, the best peers in the market that I have. Uh, and it's funny because you and I are competitors at a certain aspect, but more along the lines of we just kind of like to share ideas and make sure that we're both kind of in line with what the sense of reality hits. And this is this is totally different because 
you know, for example, I've been, you know, working with some people in the real estate world and they cannot understand how property managers share. Like it just blows them away. I'm like, no, you would not believe how much we share because our competition is not each other. Our competition is the individual self-managing landlord. And they're the ones taking a lot of our business because they're not bringing us their business or it's the leasing agent out there working for whatever company you have in mind. They're the ones taking our our business. Now, this is not uh, an episode to describe, you know, how much we're buddies and whatever else. And we are, we're friends and we've been, we've known each other for a long time and we share quite a bit in the marketplace as far as ideas. And so should we just go ahead and tell the story, get, get it out of the way now, how we met? I mean, well, so just, I mean, my we, recollection we or your recollection? <laughs> okay, let's do a little bit of both because, um, you know, it does involve the late, great Kevin Knight and uh, he was one of our mentors and you ended up at the Texas style NARPM conference and first, it was right across the, one. the first your first conference. It was yes. right across the street from a steakhouse. I can't remember the name. It might've been Texas steakhouse or something like that. But, you know, of course, Kevin, you know, knowing Kevin and we all loved him, uh, you know, we're, we're all staying around, you know, about five o'clock conferences and let's go have dinner, you know, Kevin. And he, he grabs everybody around him. He just, he just like, he's always got a, a plus one, no matter who it is. He's got hangers on. <laughs> And so we ended up together at the table and uh, I'm going to let you take it from there. So we're at the table and Kevin is asking me to, or he's describing me to everybody. I'm second generation. It's my first conference. And Brad decides to ask me if I'm going to broker owner. And I looked up and said, what is a broker owner? And what happened after that, Brad? I kind of dropped my fork and I said, are you kidding me? You got to go to broker owner because it's one of those conferences that it's kind of like the, the, the marquee of the property management world. As far as you can, you can go learn. It's very similar to PMM con, right? The PMM con and the broker owner, the very similar levels. We know we do things a little bit different at PMM con, but we give homage to where we learned a lot of that from broker owner. And I recommend both conferences. And so what, what we decided is that, okay, rookie, we're going to have to grab you and we're going to have to mentor you and we're going to have to teach you the, the ways of the force. And uh, the young Padawan learner has since then uh, taken that to heart. You're now particularly involved in NARPM here and there. I mean, you've got some things going on. You are now the local San Antonio NARPM chapter president. Am I correct? I was president for local in 19 and then 20 and 20. 21 and 22, the state chapter for Texas. So I'm now past yeah. president for the state. Right. So you're still involved in the leadership for sure. Absolutely. I get confused about it all because there's just so many <laughs> positions and they rotate every lot. year. I mean, yeah, don't get me started on that. But you know, the, the other side of that is you're, you're completely involved in the management world and your second generation. And so to, to elaborate to the listeners, your dad, Herman was a big staple in the San Antonio market. So you grew up under this and you served as a San Antonio police officer. What was it? 18, 20 years, something like that? 17 years, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. So all that being said, okay, let's back up. Now we're going to address the topic at hand because you sent this to me. And I said, dude, let's just jump on a podcast. So this is not the end-all, be-all podcast of this new Joe Biden proposed Renter's Bill of Rights. Okay, we just wanted to jump on here and have an open conversation about it. So he and I are both discovering things as we are talking. You know, we're looking at the Yahoo article. We're looking at the Bigger Pocket uh, article where they summarize it in pretty distinct detail. And a lot of it has to do with things we've already talked about or heard about that's coming. Uh, you know, Scott Brady and I have talked about this a lot as far as in the West Coast, the Renters Bill of Rights, the Renters Nation, the rent control that's coming. 
And so let's just kick it off and kind of give me a, you know, a couple points of what you think this, you try to describe it in your own words and let's just kind of kick this around and go from there. So start from there. Well, you know, when I saw it, what, what caught my eye is everything since we went through COVID has always been one-sided on housing, right? I don't see anything in here for a landlord's bill of rights. Uh, I don't see anything here about helping people. I don't think people either we're not getting the message out of how investing works or people don't want to hear it. But you're only getting one side of the, of the story here, right? So the concern is where whose actions are causing this? Is this happening from professionally managed properties or is it from individuals or is it market specific? That's what I would be curious about to see, you know, NARPM, our, our trade organization that we're both a part of, this is something we should be working. Not so, I don't know that we need to go and combat it. It looks bad if you're just trying to say renters don't have rights because that's not the case here. But the other part of this is landlords have rights and why are rents going up? No one is asking why. Everyone is just seeing, and it's almost a knee-jerk reaction. And if we're not involved or if we don't start speaking up, then it's going to be dictated how our business runs. And I think that would be bad for the industry. Agreed on that. So we need to really kind of paraphrase what's going on here. So I can't remember the exact date, but it would have been maybe 30, 45 days ago. The Biden administration came out with a proposed tenant bill of rights. And he just basically threw it out there. There's There's been no debate in the House or the Senate on this. Uh, it's not been proposed as an actual bill. And what's scary is that it could be just put into legislation as a, as a, as a fiat, just basically uh, a presidential decree, right, an executive order that all of a sudden, you know, all of the three-letter agencies that we are fearful of start to take action upon this and dictate their will. And so it's very scary that uh, the federal level is getting into this point to where they want to push into action this renter's bill of rights. Now, let, let's kind of break this down. What does it all mean? Like, what, what are some of the outlines that they're talking about? Give us a few talking points there. Yeah. So looking at this thing here, safe, quality, accessible, affordable housing. We don't control the market as far as pricing goes, but that's what they want. Clear and fair leases, education, enforcement, and enhancement of renters' rights. The, the one that caught me was the right to organize because I don't understand what are we creating a football team? Like, what are we doing? Uh, eviction, prevention, diversion, and relief. So some of these things, a lot of us in NARPM already do. We try to provide education. We have very clear websites. Our leases are very clear. Um, so again, I'm curious, wh who is the culprit that's, that's bringing this up, right? We know that markets have taken advantage of the fact that Rents are, uh, there's a supply and demand issue, so they just raise the rents, right? But mm -hmm. is who is doing this? Is this happening from NARPM companies, professional companies, uh, REITs that are, you know, running their own stuff? Like, I'd be curious, what is the source? Because I wasn't asked. It's just as a blanket reaction to items that are not happening everywhere. And San Antonio, you and I are both here. We don't, we're not raising rents $1,000 uh, at lease renewal. So I don't know where this is coming from. Yeah, I mean, there's some things in here that are pretty broad and can be interpreted 10 different ways, mm -hmm. uh, much like our property codes. You know, it's really always up to the ruling judge on how they want to interpret that particular law. And so this this is very vague. Uh, what scares the heck out of me is it could just be enacted by a decree, by a, an executive order and put into action. And then it would take a Republican held house to refute it. And that may get shot down in Congress and still pushed into law. 
And so it's a very scary situation because it's eliminating the free market. If you remember what was going on with the eviction moratorium, and if you remember our very own Robert Gilstrap fought that, he went to uh, the basically to the Supreme Court. He filed a lawsuit on behalf of uh, himself and another owner, and they got together and they filed an actual lawsuit. I don't know where our trade organizations were. Where was NER? Where was uh, NARPM? I don't know. They were sight unseen in that regard. But it took one of our own to fight it on his own, on his own dime, to go all the way to the Supreme Court to get the eviction moratorium. He had he earned a stay on it, which basically means a judge says, we're not taking action on that. We're stopping it from here. I did a podcast on this with Robert. And so I got to understand it a lot better after that podcast because really it was it took a grassroots type of an action to stop the feds. That's the crazy part. They have so much crazy power that it goes against common sense sometimes. So if you're, you know, if you're a conspiracy theorist like me, maybe they're just pandering for votes. That's a lot of it. You know, they're going out to say, hey, we're now on the side of the renter because we feel the renters are 52% of the nation and 48% are homeowners or whatever the state of home ownership is. They're looking at the simple majority and saying, well, let's go after that class and pander to them. Basically, we'll, we'll pay off their student loans and we'll give you free housing and, you know, this, this will become a socialist utopia. I mean, is that what they're doing here? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's kind of what, you know, Scott Brady's brought up several times on your podcast is people are finally starting to notice this, right? This, this industry was under the radar forever. It was redheaded stepchildren. And now everybody that's got money is looking here. And now that the dollars are flowing, now the evil eyes upon us, right? Kind of Lord of the Rings style. And they're looking at us. And my concern or question would be, how are we performing as an industry? You know, are we, and I'm not saying that we're supposed to get together and antitrust and do all the same things, but are we doing common things? Are we educating? Do we give out educational stuff? Do we teach renters how to become home buyers? Do we show them how to fix their credit? Some people are, and some people are not, right? So you've got this divide within the industry. Half of us are trying to be progressive and offer a lot of stuff. And then the other half are saying, well, what worked 20 years ago still works today. And how do we, how do we fix that? The following protection, safe, comma, quality, comma, and accessible, affordable housing. Okay. Who's to determine that, right? So they're going to hire a, uh, housing director that says this place is not safe. It's not quality and it's not accessible to affordable housing. Well, the you know, problem that, is we already have that. We have that exactly. in San Antonio. We have Saha right now. I don't have any problem with knowing that people need help. And that's why we do what we do. The problem doesn't become the people. The problem is the red tape to get to being able to help people. Right. It's very frustrating. Uh, and owners will ask us all the time. You know, should I allow Section 8? I'll say, hey, that's the choice on you, you know. But I can tell you the last time the government shut down, our Section 8 checks didn't come for six weeks. So can yeah. you float this for six weeks? Can you float it for three months? You know, are you are you willing to do all the stuff they're going to ask you to do that's above and beyond? Because we don't run slums to begin with, but they're still going to come and find a way to ask you to do something. That That is the frustrating part is we've seen what happens when government gets involved in housing and it makes people not in this article it even spoke that in the areas where they raised where they brought in rent control that investors just pulled out of the market you literally created a housing crisis overnight because investors didn't want to deal with the headache or yeah if you tell me i can raise it five percent every year well instead of not raising rent like i wanted to i'm just going to raise it because i can so now i'm forcing people to pay more because you told me that i can why would you do that let, let, 
let's dig into the rent control now because I was going to save it till a little bit later on because that could be the, this is like the slippery slope. This is the gateway drug to get to rent control. But let's talk about rent control as like a scary end result of some of this bill of rights that goes through. Now, some of the things they talk about, I'm fine with. I'm actually okay with a little bit more legislation and we can talk through this, but let's talk rent control specifically and the bad things. So if we look at the markets that have implemented rent control, uh, New York, San Francisco, some of the others, you know, California, the, the East and West Coast have done this and they put the speed limit on how fast you can raise the rent. And that could be 5% per annum, whatever it's going to be, 5% a lease agreement. That means that every single landlord will raise the rent 5% every single year. It's not if, it's not the market dictates it. You know, if, if there's all of a sudden a, a huge demand in housing, they're going to raise the rent. Well, let's, let's think about maybe 2% or 3%. Nope, they're going up 5% every single year. They will never skip a beat. And so when the market dips, like we might see right now with lowering interest rates, right, and potential population shifting, maybe there's a market dip in certain places to where, too bad, we're still going to raise the rents 5% every single year. So what it does, as you mentioned earlier, is it causes investors to pull out, which means there will be no more affordable housing projects. No one's going to want to go into a market with rent control, spend their money, and put themselves at risk by local government and all of their willy-nilly legislation that they just pull up out of thin air and decide to put into action. No one's going to want to invest in that type of a market. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to the open free market states. Correct. That's one of the problems. I mean, what did I miss from rent control? There's so many bad things about it. I, I mean, between that or... The fact that people will just, like you said, they'll get priced out. Uh, I'm looking at Texas for you and I, that our property taxes don't have a cap if you have no homestead exemption, right? Most of our investors don't have that exemption. So if the taxes are going up, why would you keep your house here? doesn't make any sense to invest in Texas. I'd rather invest someplace else. Because our well, property no, taxes hold on like, right there. Hold, don't get me. I'm going to get my cowboy hat on. Now stop on, right go there. Go get it. I've so got one too. Our, fanta- our fantastic governor, Greg Abbott. Uh, has a $30 billion surplus in the state of Texas right now. One of his proposals is to lower the property taxes. And so we're looking at that as a state. Now, I want you to listen up, all you blue states out there. We have a $30 billion surplus. California is probably in the whole $10 trillion by this point, right? They just they overspend. And so what do they do? They try to tax people, tax people, tax people. The state of Texas is looking at like a way to untax people, and limit those property taxes. I get you though. I mean, the, the investors, the first thing we hear is they look at our property taxes. They're like, oh my God, your property taxes are so high. Yeah, you're right. But we, really, we have really darn good schools because of it. And that's, that, that's kind of a one for one. So it, it's, a, it's a trade-off for sure. And I do think, you know, the you make a point that they look at that and say, eh, I'm going to go to a tax-free state. I'm going to go to, you know, like Florida or someplace like that where it's, I can't say tax-free, pardon me. I would say a lower property tax state, right? And then they would go to other markets and that causes us to potentially lose business. I mean, the same with the airports, right? I mean, well, it's a trickle-down effect. It, it'll, it'll, it is. Yeah, it's a huge, and with San Antonio being a military city too, I mean, we have to have housing available for all these people coming in and out all the time. And, you know, they, they can't, there's not enough base housing to house all these service people at the end of the day. I agree. Yeah. And there's so much good things in these articles. I mean, we're going to have to post them in the show notes for people to to catch up. There's a Yahoo article that you sent me and then this bigger pockets synopsis by this, 
this one uh, investor who wrote it. I need to see who it was and drop her name or his name, but uh, it just kind of paraphrases everything. The crux of the issue at the bottom, you know, just shows all the accelerating rent inflation that can be part of this. And again, that goes back into the rent control. Now, I do want to talk a little bit more about some of the, the things I mentioned in the article, clear and fair leases. I'm actually okay with that. You know, one of the things that you and I have kicked around is, all right, if there was actual landlord education, meaning that property management has to be licensed. Like I know it's licensed in the state of Texas by a real estate license. Okay, we get it. But what if there was a distinct property management license and you had to go take 25, 50 hours of exact property management courses like the TRLP or TRPM, uh, their designation courses here in Texas. I think it's a Texas uh, Realtor Leasing Programmer. I can't remember all the acronyms. You know, I've got them. I've went and earned the designation, so I have both of them, but I can't remember all the darn words behind them. Alphabet soup. Point being is it was two days of eight-hour classroom discussion, Correct. and Adonna Lowry was the teacher. Yep, she taught and, me too. You know, we were actually baffled. I mean, I was, I was there and, you know, who does this? And I'd raise my hand. Who does this? I'd raise my hand and she'd refer to me for all the stuff that we were doing in the marketplace and nobody else was doing it. Like who, who lets their owners uh, decide which renter they want to choose? And a bunch of people just, you know, raise their hand and said, no, we let our owners decide. That's a really good point. Clear and fair lease agreements, clear and fair screening criteria. So if we're looking at that distinct issue, then yeah, it would be great to say that uh, if a property management company is hired and you're, they're responsible for the management agreement and the lease agreement, that they are required to be the ones deciding on who you rent to. So you're taking that potential power out of the owners, right? And because that's what they hired us for. One of the things that they're proposing in California is they want to inflict mandatory education on every single rental property owner. Think of that. Yeah. Whoa. You're like, man, you can do that. What is so, thinking? That's exactly. Okay. I know you're thinking through it. I can see the wheel spinning and the smoke coming out of your ears, but the, the thing is that think about that. So every single owner now has to show up to Sacramento. They have to take a four hour course in person and they have to get a, a signed off on by some federal government, you know, agency or whomever it's going to be to continue to own a rental property. So what now are the ramifications if they don't? If you are you using a manager, not a manager, or, or irrespective if, of that? If you're not using a manager. If you are, you can defer to the manager. Like, they can do it. Okay. So, like, a guy like Scott Brady's like, yeah, bring it on. You know, make yeah. every single owner attend mandatory education to own a rental property. And I'm actually okay with that. And I know that sounds very altruistic, like I'm self-serving. However, comma, where are the issues that we see in this space? It's the individual landlord screwing over the tenant that causes it a bad rap and causes the entire thing a bad rap. They, they embezzle security deposits. They don't make repairs. They are the quintessential landlord slumlord, right? They're the slumlords out there. You know, they're writing lease agreements on a napkin. They have, you know, just do your own repairs and we'll fix it later. And, Oh, the air conditioning's out. We'll just go get a fan. I don't have any money this month to fix it. Sorry. I mean, those things are, are, terrible, right? To, to rent from. And we don't want to see people doing, you know, have to go through that. So maybe some of that might be okay. I mean, what are your thoughts on that in particular? I would have no problem with that at all. I mean, that's something that NARPUM probably should champion. Just educate. You can't educate enough at the end of the day, right? And if everyone is doing something similar to that, because, you know, the people that are renting from you, sometimes 
they may or may not know what they're looking at, right? How do you how do you help people get better in that in that scenario? Because I know Trek here, I think we have a Trek lease, right? That the general public can use, but half the people filling it out probably have never seen it before. You know, if you're not a licensed realtor, they don't know what these terms are. So you have the blind leading the blind, signing a binding uh, agreement between two parties. What is that? That's where we end up with the bad rap. Yeah, and the same thing, education, enforcement, and enhancement of renter's rights. So if the renter's rights are to have a competent, fair lease agreement, uh, that also should be going right back into the conversation of one of the most dangerous animals on the face of the planet is the part-time realtor writing a lease agreement because they're putting a document that could be in place for 100 years. It self-renews over and over and over, and they have minimal, minimal training on any sort of things with lease agreements. You and I have both seen lease agreements written by part-time real estate agents, and half the portions are left blank, half the portions are misunderstood, and it's just like, who is this representing? Is this representing neither party in its best interest because it's so full of holes? And we hate to see that because we don't want anybody to get you know screwed over. We don't want to see the owner get screwed over. We don't want to see the tenants get screwed over. You know, we are kind of like the referees down the middle. That's what a good property manager does. They they make it fair and equitable to most of, of each side. Now, granted, we represent the owner, so maybe it's 5149. But at the end of the day, you know, we stand up for our tenants, such as owner wants to go knock on the door and enter the property this afternoon because they just happened to be flying in town. You know, what do you say? You say, sorry, Mr. Owner, you can't go to the property without 24 hours notice. We have to have confirmed notice. So I know you want to stop by your home that you own, that you have the keys to. I know you want to stop by this afternoon, but don't do it. Do not show up at that tenant's door or we're going to have issues. Let us get you permission. We'll accompany you on a walkthrough and then we'll walk you through that home when the tenant is not there under our supervision. Because you can imagine how that's going south. Knock, knock. I'm here to check on my home. You know, I, I know that there's some rules in the state of Texas that allows you to do that, but that's just not common sense. You know yeah, this. You're a former that, police yeah. officer. What happens in that scenario? Yeah, somebody's on my property. I don't know who this owner is. I shot him because I felt threatened, and the law would protect the owner. I mean, the the, the tenant in that scenario. Yeah, you get long. it. So that so the enhancement of renter's rights. I'm okay with that. Let's talk about some renter's rights. Uh, the right to have repairs done quickly, correct. The right to have, uh, you know, an annual inspection, the right to have a, an annual lease agreement, the right to um, just just have normal, basic living conditions tended to. Well, so even, even going is, so, uh, so easy as when it's time for renewal, right? Not springing a renewal notice a week before and raising the rent, right? Like, I don't, we yeah. do 60 days out, I don't, you know, 60, 30 to 60 days out, plenty of time. If you can't afford it, start looking for something else. We can start marketing or you figure out how to find the money, right? Because at the end of the day, yeah. the, the rent increases are so small, it would cost you more to move than it would to stay. That's usually how it works in our scenario. But that that's an easy one to put in that I bet is not happening. A lot of people are, you know, last minute or spur of the moment or, oh, by the way, I just did it. I didn't know I had to do an amendment, so I just raised the rent because I'm the owner and I can well, that's not really how that, it works. That's exactly right. I, I tie right into that to that whole argument with a solid lease agreement that they have to use some sort of like, not a promulgated form, but some sort of decent written lease agreement executed by someone who has experience in property management. Either they have a property management license through the state of Texas and or, you know, they don't. There's some sort of, I don't know, I, they have to abide by the renter's rights as they say. And I'm actually okay with a lot of that. So another one would be a standardized late agreement. So if you're late, you will pay X. I know they just introduced this in the property code, so it's somewhat somewhat sort of standardized. 
but it's more like a cap to it. Cap, I think yeah. a standardized, yeah, it's capped. I think a standard uh, light fee would be more uh, easier to understand. Same thing with, I mean, you could talk all kinds of things in and around a enhancement of renters' rights. And it really does make a lot of sense because if it were you renting, especially that, that notice to enter a property, uh, if it were you renting, we'd want plenty of notice. Uh, we would also say to limit that, right? Limit that that type of a, a walkthrough to twice a year or once a quarter. I mean, limit that to where you don't have an overzealous landlord wanting to walk through your property once a month. Correct. See, so so renters' rights can go a lot of different directions. Now, there's another part of this that's kind of wacky: the right to organize. I don't think we, you know, that's not something that's really needed. If you really want to get together and pick it. You know, go ahead, but uh, let's let's get realistic here and do something that's not mob forming. Let's do something constructive, right? The right to organize equals mobs equals riots equals people getting hurt, and so I don't advocate that. But a enhancement of the renters' rights make a lot of sense. It does. Last one, you know, the eviction prevention, diversion, and relief. Whoa, this is this is you know we're going here, right? Eviction prevention. Come on. I mean, that's one benefit to the state of Texas is how quickly we can evict. So for the audience, paraphrase the time frame of what we have to deal with in our evictions. As a property manager, it's important for your business and your bottom line to work with the right insurance partner. But getting the right coverage for all parties involved isn't always easy. That's where Steadily.com comes in. Steadily is the industry leader in landlord insurance, offering fast, affordable coverage online in just a few clicks. Steadily works with property managers nationwide to insure their portfolios of managed properties and provides guaranteed listing as additional insured with easy online visibility into property insurance coverage. With top-of-market referral fees, Steadily also helps you drive extra revenue per door while bringing tremendous value to your clients. That's why property managers nationwide rate Steadily 4.8 out of 5 stars. Find out how Steadily can save you time and help you earn extra revenue. To get started, visit Steadily.com slash partners slash PMM or email us at partners at Steadily.com and mention that you heard us on the PMM Podcast. It's not under the CARES Act. We're still dealing with that in our JP courts here, but three-day notice. Our, we just use an attorney to do everything. So three-day notice goes out. They don't do it. File the eviction. We're in court within two weeks. We're 99. Actually, we've never lost. We're always going to get a judgment because we have everything lined up. After we get the judgment, five-day waiting period, if they want to appeal. If they don't appeal, then they're still there. File for the writ of possession. And then we have a sidewalk party within about a week. Sidewalk yeah, party so during being, the we take all their stuff, put it on the sidewalk 24 hours. They don't come get it. Then we just haul it away. So it's a speed lane is what we're, what the paraphrase is. And I agree with you on that because uh, it does give us a little bit of assurance that we can have some, some form of guarantee that we can collect the rent. If we don't collect the rent, it's kind of like, Here's your carrot. Pay the rent on time or here's a stick. You don't pay your rent on time. We're going to evict you. And in tougher markets, like in the, the West Coast, for example, they can't evict, right? Evictions take six months. And so you threaten eviction to a tenant and what do they say? Whatever. You know, fine, go ahead. I just won't have to pay rent and then I'll go to into a judge and, and claim COVID, catch up on my rent or mitigate my rent and I'll continue to stay in the home. So it goes back to screening criteria. 
So if you're making the screening criteria so limited, it hurts the affordable housing concept because not everybody can afford or have the clout to get into a 800 credit score only home, you see? Correct. And so all of this has ramifications and at the end of the day, the consumer ends up paying for this. So if you put a licensing act on some sort of uh, each rental property, what is that landlord going to do? They're going to just simply pass on that fee to the consumer, right? A certain tax, they pass on that fee to a, uh, a, a certain individual, like a short-term rental tax, right? That's, that's one that's kind of become a new thing in our space is if you have a short-term rental property, you'll pay a short-term rental tax, not to the state, not to the federal government, so they can give it all to uh, the Ukraine. You have to pay it to the local market like to the uh, local the city tax. council, the mm -hmm. hot tax. Mm -hmm. And so where's that going? That's just going to go into the city coffers. And what are they doing with it? Who knows, right? But it's just it's just a, a BS tax. I get having a license, but to try and tax the rental proceeds, you're getting you're getting a little tedious there, a little, little ticky tack. And so in the end of the day, that owner passes that tax along to the tenant. So if you want to talk renter's rights, they need to eliminate the ability of local markets other than state or federal to pass any sort of tax law on top of that particular landlord on top of that particular rental property because what this also does is it causes people to hide those rental properties they'll claim them as homestead right and they won't be honest about stuff because what's the ramifications either i pay a 200 dollars fine or i pay 200 dollars a month in a short-term rental tax because i'm renting it out on a short-term rental you know, you still look at it like that. You're like, well, let's flip a coin because I'd rather run till I get tackled and I'll pay the $200 a month short-term rental tax if keeping it as a homestead saves me this much money on all the other taxes that I have to pay. So there are ramifications to every single tax that they pass. People will find a way around it. It's not breaking the law. It's playing with the law in certain aspects, like the tax code. You know, if you comply to the tax code, you're not dodging taxes. You're not uh, avoiding taxes, you are basically you are are playing to the letter of the law, right? They always beat up politicians for this. You know, let me see your tax returns. Let me make sure you you paid all your fair share. Well, what's your, you know, if you're complying with the law, your fair share is your fair share. That that's there, there's no uh, ending around that. Um, what am I missing on this? Because I know I'm I'm blabbing on about nothing, but some of well, these are hot button stuff, and I, I want people to understand there are you know trickle down effects to it. I think what we're missing on this side is. Uh, the landlords don't have a seat at the table. I mean, ev eviction prevention is you would pay your rent. But I, I don't see anything here that says the average landlord does not swim in money, right? That mispayment is now taking money out of their family and putting them behind. Uh, I've yet to see a study to see how many landlords had to file for bankruptcy or for uh, foreclosure because of all the COVID rules. There was nothing out there to help them, right? They had to apply to get money for someone who got free money, who broke a written agreement. It seems backwards. I asked somebody, it was. I said, why would you not just pay the note servicer directly with no markup so that the note is paid, the renter can stay and the landlord is not harmed. That's so simple that it could have just been done immediately. Instead, you went all the way to one side and you left the landlords out to try, right? Because not all the landlords are these big VC backed companies. A lot of our landlords are military service people for us here in San Antonio, or they're, you know, just moved to a different house, but they lived there for 30 years and that's going to be their retirement income. 
and now someone's stuck there and they can't get them out. They don't know what to do. And then of course they're all coming to hire us and we're like, well, what do you want, what do you want us to do? Like we, the law are still locking us in place as well. So there's, there's nothing here bringing us to the table because a lot of us could help educate and create a better bill of rights, I think, because of our, our backgrounds. Yeah, and that was the frustrating part in the, the eviction moratoriums. They were just basically giving uh, the tenants all these new rights out of nowhere. And they could have blanketed the the mortgage companies, the banks, and said, uh, if if they su- submit a form and their tenant is hiding under the eviction moratorium, you need to give them a mortgage moratorium, right? Defer their mortgage two months or six months or whatever it is, because they're getting put in a bad position. I know you could argue that all these investors, they should have three months in reserves and it's, you know, it's not, it's not the tenant's fault. They have a mortgage. You know what I mean? I can't rent your mortgage, uh, which I learned from you. I still learned that saying from you, man, I can't rent your mortgage, you know, <laughs> great <laughs> saying by the way, because <laughs> you, you told me that I'm like, that's perfect. I got to remember that one. But the point is you see, it wasn't, it didn't address all sides. And this was the case that Gilstrap made when he went to the Supreme court is he had a couple stories like that where it was investor by name and the investor has a mortgage through X and the tenant's not paying. So now the investor with a mortgage has $10,000, $15,000, dollars in debt to the, to the bank and the bank says, pound sand, pay me. I mean, it, it really is a bad situation. So what are you supposed to do? You end up in a foreclosure, you end up in a, you know, going to beg the feds for PPP money. And it was a really awful time and I think people are forgetting how rough that was on all parties by creating this renter's bill of rights. Now it's not enacted yet. It's a, you know, a far left agenda item that was thrown out there, I think to just basically pander for some votes and it goes back to elections. Elections always equal money and you follow the money trail and kind of go from there. Now this has turned into, you know, a political rant on my side and, and some of our discussion points and, you know, well, maybe you agree, maybe so you don't. It doesn't matter really which side of political spectrum. It's going to become political, right? If you're not saying it, someone else will take it. Um, in this article, two senators were already quoted as saying it's not good enough. That's already the scary part because you're asking for all this stuff, only one-sided, and you want more. So if it doesn't get passed now, it'll get passed at some point, but it's going to come into someone's ear. Someone's going to use it as a launching platform. and our our industry has to be ready for this. You know, the question is, you and I are on here, what is our industry going to do to prepare for something like this? Are we going to be proactive and say, we want to work to make this better? Or are we going to wait until something gets passed and to file lawsuits? I think if we're proactive, it's a lot less expensive and it looks a lot better as professionals. We should be, I, I don't want my renters to be dumb. I want them to be knowledgeable. I want them to know their rights, but let me have a say in forming this bill of rights. It's one-sided right now, and I think I don't think it's sustainable. So I'd love to see NAR plus NARFUM ideally working together. You know, their whole differences about licensing and who's not licensed at this point. This is about housing, and this is about people. Both industries want to make sure people aren't homeless. So why can't they get their differences aside and work together? Agreed, and that, that's that's another part of it. Is a lot of folks don't understand the political background behind this. Just in our organizations that we mentioned. You and I are both realtors. You and I are both part of NARPM, and it's kind of maddening that they can't work together. Now, I know people that uh, are screaming at the radio right now saying, NAR is the most evil thing ever, right? NAR is, is terrible, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, but they're big, 
they right? have a voice. They have a voice. They have a voice, and mm-hmm. they've got a lot of money. And so NARPM, in in all honesty, should be tucked right underneath NAR's right wing, mm-hmm. and they should be hiding and trailing everything that NAR does. For whatever reason, they can't seem to join forces. Uh, a lot of it, as you mentioned, is the licensing because some NARPA members are not licensed and NAR can't have that. They all got to be licensed. I don't know what the problem is at the top level. It's maddening because both resources should be combining to represent our organizations together, and they're not. And so I'm sure I'm going to get all kinds of hate mail from uh, people saying, get involved, get inside of NARPM. Okay, well, I've attempted and it, you know, it doesn't work like that. You just can't walk in and say, I'm not part of the leadership. Uh, you have to work your way up from the ground floor. Now, that's not all that's being good, but we also have a pretty large surplus. And I feel that needs to be put to work at the state level and at the national level. Mm-hmm. And what that means is dedicating resources, dedicating people to lobby on behalf of our organization, which really is representing landlords in general, right? And if we could just bring the factions together, there would be so there'd be so much of a loud voice. That's the other thing that um, is a detriment to individual landlords is they have zero voice, right? They don't have any sort of means. If we all of a sudden were Australia and we had 70, 80% market share into individual landlords, meaning that seven out of 10, four out of five landlords use a professional property manager, their voice would be heard. The Australian lobby is huge on behalf of landlords and property managers they they have it down so if there's going to be any sort of legislation passed in the the country of australia and or new zealand they at least have a seat at the table to be heard versus i don't know if we do we have some pretty good folks like tyler craddock he's he's doing his his what he can do with his limited resources and time and space to influence them at the national level you know he goes to all the stuff that's needed he, he does all the right things he's a super guy but man we need 25 of them you know, we need 50 of them. And, and that's that's the point behind this is we got to have more because if this sneaks through the cracks and all of a sudden, just as you mentioned, it's passed. Now we're reactive. Now we're filing lawsuits. Now we're that, having to go that, after that, it that before is, it's done. Uh, that's counterproductive because when you're filing this lawsuit, you're going to be painted as the enemy. And we're not the enemy. We just want to have a say. But now is the time to speak. Yesterday Agreed. was really the time to speak. And so – uh, when I was state president for Texas, I wanted and asked for National to give us a lobbyist. I don't want a virtual assistant or anything like that. Give me a lobbyist because we have five major metros here. We're huge. We're one of the largest states. We have everyone moving here from East Coast, West Coast, North. Everyone's moving to Texas or they're moving to Florida. Those are your two hotspots. So both of those places have national or they have state level NARPM chapters and they should have a lobbyist assigned to be able to take care of all of them. Because then once you get into our different metros, every one of them runs differently. Austin is completely different than San Antonio. They're night and day. And somebody's got to know the difference between those two. We have great leaders here in Texas that have made working with our local associations very well, right? Adana, Jim Smith, uh, Mike Mingdon. They, they have paved such a great road that other states don't have like we do. So we could always just sit there and say, well, Texas is going to be fine. But I don't care just about Texas, you know, care about the industry. How do we make mm-hmm. everybody, you know, have those kind of relationships? So it's an easy fix. Maybe I'm just like too simplistic in my, in my overly simplistic mind, but what if NARPM had a say with every NAR representative? I got to assume, maybe I don't know, but NAR has some sort of state representative for every single state, right? 
I'd have to assume that that someone is assigned to represent the state of Nebraska or the state of Wyoming on behalf of NAR and or a region, even a region could be sufficient. Well, if NARPM were tucked up underneath that, we could potentially have a voice at every single state about the property management issues for investment landlords. And we could infuse what we need to see or we want done or we want prevented done at every single state level. And so what does that take? It takes money. And what do we have? We have a surplus. So it's time that we reorganize and spend some of that money and start influencing our industry for the positive. I mean, it really is. It's, so, it's, it's kind of maddening that we're just sitting on all this cash and we're not doing anything with it. Uh, they've really gotten a handle on, on perfecting a lot of the things that we do with the education. I'm a NARPM instructor, so I firmly believe in the organization. They've got the NARPM accounting standards. They put on, you know, a dozen conferences a year and they make money almost on, on all of them. And so it's time to figure it out to influence back into the local and national fronts on this particular realm. We don't do it now. It's going to sneak up on us and bite us. Uh, I, I think we got to get something moving. I mean, what are your thoughts? I completely agree. Uh, I, I am a contributor for uh, TREPAC, like Texas Political Action Committee. Uh, I've got my little flyer back here that I need to do for NARPM this year. But I, I donate to the PACs because I know they're important, you know, and everybody has their opinion on them. But at the end of the day, business is done behind the scenes to make these kind of things happen, right? So if we're not behind the scenes and we don't have the money to do it, then we have no one to blame but ourselves, right? So it, it doesn't cost that much to donate to NARPA. I think it's $25. I mean, that's that's the easiest money that you could ever give. And then stacking that up with a plan becomes something, right, at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But yes, we, so should be, we should have started on this before it became an issue. Um, I think as an industry, we should have seen this was coming during COVID. I mean, the writing was almost on the wall. You painted everyone as victims of landlords, even though landlords, we, you know, all of us had our hands tied. But now that we're kind of out of that, we should now become proactive. This whole year should be about making sure we're educating. Uh, I personally here at some of the real estate associations, I, I do mentor landlords that self-manage. And they'll end up coming up. But I'm like, I tell them, if you do bad, you're going to kill all of our industry. So I'd rather give you guidance and have you do something good, then do something bad. And then you're hurting my reputation because that doesn't do anyone any good. Or you end up harming a tenant and giving them a bad rap because now they paint us all the same way. Kind of like when I was a cop, right? If one one does bad, all of us suck. So, you know, every day you just go out looking to hurt somebody, which is not true, but that's just the narrative that gets picked up. That's This whole article is nothing but a narrative about people who had a bad experience, but it's outshadowing all of us that do good every single day. On a tactical level, what are your thoughts on leasing only? We do leasing only, but it's very restricted to where owners are kind of like, can you help me with this? No, that, that has knowledge. There's a, there's a fee. I say, we're going to find them. We're going to screen them. We're going to give you parameters of what they meant. And you're going to say yes or no. And we're going to drop a lease. We're going to get the money and we're done. Don't ask us anything. Uh, it's very cut and dry. It makes us good money. But then it becomes, I don't know what to fill out here. I don't either because I didn't get paid to fill that out, right? But if you would like to move to this plan, I will, I'll magically remember what the number is and, and I'll show you how to fill that out. But there's no guidance given. If you're going to self-manage, okay, yeah, if you're going to self-manage and lease only, then that means you want to be the professional. You can't have this knowledge for free. Yeah, we kind of feel the same way. We we started, we stopped, we looked at doing it again, and we started it, and we've kind of dropped it since. We don't do leasing only right now, but we have in the past. And a lot of reasons because uh, 
the owners were trying to stiff us, right? That we saw that many times. You try to charge half up front, and then you, you find them a tenant, and they magically find a tenant from somewhere else, and then you start working with that tenant, and they don't pay the rest of the lease, right? They don't pay the rest of the agreement. So, word of the wise: if you're ever going to do leasing only, get everything, everything, everything up front. And then if, if they decide to rent to their sister-in-law from church, go ahead. I don't care. Whatever. It's your deal. But you paid us to advertise. You paid us to help you write a lease agreement. Uh, if you want us to screen somebody, fine. Sign here. Here's all the disclosures that you hold the security deposit. You are holding us harmless. I mean, there's a lot to it because if it gets into any sort of uh, legal, de- legal battle over a security deposit, we could be implicated just for like being involved. Right. And that, that's a, that's a really crappy part. Same with maintenance or some sort of, you know, fair housing complaint. We could be implicated just for being involved and having our, you know, even a rubber stamp on a lease agreement that the owner uses. So it's very, you know, it's 50, 50, like you could do it. You could not do it. You could make arguments to do it as a gateway drug to get the, t- the owners sign up for full management. Uh, you could also say, we're not going to do it because we don't want to help the owners do that on their own. You know, it, there's like all 50, 50 on it. I just want to throw it out there because you start thinking about, well, why don't we try to help the landlords? Let's just do leasing only. Right. And then, you know, yeah. Okay. I get it. But you also want to do what you're good at and maybe, maybe it's not right for you now. Okay. Another question I'll throw down. Bart Sturzel. I hope you're listening. (laughs) First, first applicant in the door that meets your screening criteria or the best applicant in the door that meets your screening criteria. Ours we do based on whoever is, uh, whoever meets the qualifications. Uh, I know your story and how you've done yours. Uh, we've always been standard that way. Um, as long as, and when I say they meet all of it, so if someone's got everything in, but they didn't do a, a pet screening profile, for example, if that's in my criteria, you didn't do it, it's not complete. You move to the next one. It, it, it is what it is. If you can't follow instructions up front, I, I can't help you because it is pretty clearly spelled out, right? But if they meet all the criteria, even if there's risk mitigation or whatever the case may be, we will give them a conditional approval. And as long as they say they accept it and they do everything, you know, then we'll go forward with it. It hasn't bid us, um, you know, you can't, I always told somebody, if I could predict who I'm going to evict, I wouldn't be in real estate, right? I'd be running the lottery or something like that. So you never know. People with the 800 credit score moving in, get divorced, find their wife cheating on them, and end up broke. I mean, it, it happens. COVID happens, whatever the case may be. So we, ours, we do um, based on there. My, my, Concern with best is that I don't know what criteria I'm using for best for me, and it could open up a can of worms, right? And that's not a risk that we choose to take. Now, I've told people every company does theirs different, but if they're consistent, that's really what I think people are looking for is are you applying this the same throughout, right? I think your company yeah. does your company does best qualified or, or something similar to that, correct? Yeah, we, we take the best applicants. And I want to say this up front, there is no right or wrong in this, in my opinion. You could argue with me all day long, but if you have a written set of standards and you abide by those set of standards and you tell everybody up front that we choose the best applicant, not the first in the door, that's really what I think works for us. Because if I were on the other side, if I was the owner and my company's managing one of my properties and I have the opportunity to pick from the 800 or the 600, you know, which one I'm going to pick, you know, you take the Colonel or the struggling, uh, mom with two kids, you know, you're going to, you're going to, what are you going to take? Right. It's just because you would want the same for your property. Same with selling. You could make that argument. Okay. Which offer are you going to take when you're selling a home? Correct. You know, you could make the exact same argument because it's not just price. It's also price and terms and, and the state of the market, et cetera, et cetera. 
Okay, I just want to hear your opinion on that. There's no right wrong. You know, I'll get more hate mail for that one than anybody well, else. Again, the, the, what you said, though, if you're consistent and you can show, I think that's all that matters. Because, again, you, it's not like you're hiding this. Is it disclosed up front that just because I'm first doesn't mean I'm going to get picked? If you disclose it up front, then, I mean, what, what is there to get upset about, right? That's yeah. a risk someone has to be willing to take. Like our properties, um, you may have six people apply. If we run the first one, I'll refund the other application fees because I don't need your money. But that's how we, we, we run ours, and I don't hate on anyone that does it differently. For some people, it's once you pay, you can either try another property or it's non-refundable. It is what it is, as long as you disclosed it. That's all people need to do is be upfront, right? And that's kind of like with this Renner's Bill of Rights, some of it is we are disclosing everything and you just don't want to read it. Well, what am I supposed to do at that point? I can make a video, and then you're going to say there were no subtitles, and then you're going to say it wasn't in this thing. You could go down this rabbit hole of what it is, but it's like uh, for us, it's on our website. It's before you even start the application, and then it's in the lease. So you've seen everything three times, and then you're still going to say, why am I being charged for this? Because five signatures ago, we told you about this, and it's everywhere. Great circle back. Great circle back point because you're going straight back to this renter's bill of rights. Okay, what good does it do if we have a renter's bill of rights, if you want to call it that, when we put everything in front of you in writing six times and you still don't understand it? That's what right? I'm saying. And so great point. Circle back on that. Yeah, well done. Well, it becomes frustrating, right? So we're in our scenario, we're working on, okay, we're going to start doing video. But like when we, when we have people sign a lease, we implemented two years ago that we send them a summary recap of all their charges for move-in and all their monthly charges. And we have them sign off on that as soon as the lease is signed so that there's no, because what we were getting was, I didn't realize, I didn't realize. And okay, okay, look, you don't want to read through the 15 page lease. I didn't want to make it that long. I just had to put all that stuff in there because the law, I don't want to get sued. Mm-hmm. Right. But we said, we sent them a recap. We started doing that for owners as well. Why am I getting charged $35 for tax prep? Because in your management agreement, you agreed to that. Well, I don't remember that, but that doesn't mean that they didn't get signed. So instead, here's a recap. You have any questions? Let me know now before we start working on your property. Just being proactive like that kills questions later, which is kind of where I'm saying if we're proactive as an industry now, could we look better as an industry saying we also advocate for rights? Here's what we suggest. Instead of we're suing you because we don't like the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, what you put out. It's like, well, you had all this time to say something. Why now? Exactly. I agree with you on that 100% because we want to be able to be proactive. We want to be able to put the right information out there. We want tenants to have a positive experience and we want renewals. Yes. That's what we want. So let's all work together to get there. So, man, I'm humming, I'm coming up against a hard time here. Let's let's kill this conversation now. Great time chatting with you, man, Appreciate as it. always. It's my first You're such time. a good looking dude. As, it's amazing. As long as we've known each other, it's the first time I've been on. Awesome. Solve your communication problems and save an hour a day, every day with CompanyCam. CompanyCam is a visual first job site communication app that allows you to have all of your properties right in your pocket. CompanyCam automatically organizes unlimited property photos by date, time, and location while easily creating and sending reports to renters and owners to save time and money. Keep vendors and clients up to date on property projects from start to finish with live project timelines. Every project, photo, video, and conversation all within one one app, Company Cam. Visit companycam.com and make your life easier today. 
This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.